There are several moments in life when we really want to do justice to ourselves. And one such occasion is, of course, the job interview. Today we're joined by Chris Delaney, an expert in this field and a man with an interesting career journey of his own. My name is Andrew Thorpe. Welcome to Leaning Forward. Let me start by saying this episode is a little different to the normal format. We had some technical difficulties during our Zoom conversation, so I've extracted some of the nuggets shared by Chris and attempted to weave them together with some additional narrative of my own. But I'm sure you'll get something of value from what follows. For someone who coaches people to play to their strengths, Chris Delaney has had an unusual career path. Despite battling some personal inhibitions, he ended up writing three books and regularly finds himself on a public speaking stage. Over the course of 20 years, Chris has helped hundreds of people to communicate with more confidence in that most critical of situations, a job interview. He does so through his brand, Employment King. And I caught up with him recently to see what led him to this role and what wisdom he might share with Leaning Forward listeners. For somebody who, who's dyslexic um, and who tells me that he used to have a speech impediment, to go into public speaking and writing books seems a strange choice. <laughs> I was, I was going to say it's, it's even more strange because one of my jobs or one of my my sort of you know interests is hypnotherapy. So hypnotherapy, you have to have really good diction. You have to talk in a very slow pace. You have to emphasise certain words. So I find it so funny that, like I said, I couldn't read that well. I couldn't write that well. I had this terrible list, but now I write books and I use hypnotherapy and coaching as the main part of my living. So you're almost in that category of least likely to. But here you are. You, you, you've made a very successful career um, as a, a life coach, a hypnotherapist and a career coach. So talk, talk to us a little bit about um, how that came about. Take us back a little bit. Tell us your backstory um, about how you got into this uh, into this line of work, if you would. I'm a dyslexic loser and I'll never be successful. This is what I used to tell myself all the time as a child. So I left school with no qualifications. And I was really struggling to kind of uh, write and read and, and you know, do the basic stuff uh, that all school leavers can do. So I ended up working in low-skilled jobs. Andrew, my first job, I got paid one pound an hour. Account, one pound this, an hour, can you believe This was that? before the minimum wage. Yeah, this is before Labour came in and gave us minimum wage. I was on like a pound an hour. But I kind of thought this was going to be my life. I had this kind of passion inside myself where I really wanted to help people. But I thought academically, with my abilities, with my limiting beliefs, I'll just end up in these low-skilled, low-paid positions. So I thought to myself, what can I do? And I decided to volunteer. So I used to volunteer taking disabled adults out rock climbing and hiking. I used to volunteer with scout groups and youth groups, and I absolutely loved it. And I realized that I had this natural ability to have empathy with people, to motivate people, to get people to overcome their own anxieties, even though I struggled uh, with my personal anxieties and limiting beliefs. 
Anyway, back in the workplace, I'm on two pound, two pound an hour now. I'm doing double, quite well. Your earnings, you're on the way up. <laughs> I'm on the way up. Uh, so I'm, you know, I, I kind of um, been out of school for five or six years, and I've, I've had a couple of pay rises, a couple of different jobs. But I get this great opportunity. I get an opportunity to learn how to drive a forklift truck. So a forklift truck, if you don't know, it's the big machines that unload the pallets off the lorries, take it around the warehouse, uh, and let the warehouse workers unpack them for delivery. So I'm on this course, and I'm a kinesthetic learner, so I am the king of the forklift truck, and driving it around the chicane, lifting up the pallets, put it down, reversing it back, I am brilliant on this truck. It just comes so naturally to me. But I come on, my colleagues are really struggling, and they were struggling because they were dead anxious about getting on this big, beastie machine. And the instructor said to me, he said, Chris, you're going to pass this test. And then he looks at the, uh, the colleagues and said, but I think you're going to fail. This guy was not a motivational speaker. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went over to my colleagues because I, I could see they was really nervous and really anxious. And I um, explained this visualization technique that I used to use with the uh, adults when they were scared of, of going up the rock faces. Uh, and I whispered this technique to her, and the, uh, the instructor said to me, do you know what? I always remember you whispering that technique to uh, to those anxious people. We call you the magic whisperer. And the reason they call me the magic whisperer, because once they explained this technique, my colleagues got on the truck, felt really confident, drove it through the chicane, lifted up the pallet, put it down, reversed back out, and passed the test. Anyway, a year later, the same instructor comes down to see me in my place of work. And he's like, Chris, do you remember who I am? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're the guy who taught me to drive to fork the truck. And he goes, no, I'm the managing director of the organization. The reason I came down that day is because the instructor was off ill, so we didn't want you to miss out on doing your test. And I always remember you whispering uh, something to, the, to those nervous and anxious colleagues. We call you the magic whisperer. And we talk about you in each of our monthly team meetings. Anyway, we're looking to expand our organization. And we want to give you the opportunity. We want to give you a step up. We want to teach you to be a faultless truck instructor. I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I can't believe like, you know, I'm this like low paid, low skilled, anxious warehouse worker. And I'm going to get an, an opportunity to teach people to drive faultless trucks. And it goes to me, it costs £3,000 to be a faultless truck instructor. <laughs> so I'm thinking, this is a con. Like, I'm on like two or £3 an hour by now. I got uh, £30 in my bank account. I eat beans and toast every night. That's how poor I am. There's no way I can get £3,000 together. And he could read this expression on my face. And he goes, no, no, no. We're going to pay for your course. We're going to mentor you. We're going to support you. Uh, we can see something special in you. And I think, Andrew, for me, I think the reason why I'm successful is because I have a passion that I follow, but I also take any lucky opportunities that come along. I say yes to opportunities. Mm. And I think that mixture of luck and saying yes to opportunities creates success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a movie with uh, Jim Carrey called Yes Man, um, which charts the progress of how he got on when he said yes to everything. So Yeah, uh... it's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on well, a book actually uh, Daniel I can't remember his surname it was based on the book and the book kind of goes through it in a little bit more detail yeah. it's a really interesting read yeah yeah exactly what the magic whisperer said to that person I'll leave to your imagination but suffice to say as well as the benefits of saying yes to things Chris had discovered a knack for boosting people's confidence it's a skill he's since honed over many years using techniques like hypnotherapy and NLP. 
that warehouse experience had, in a, a manner of speaking, given Chris's prospects a lift. But unfortunately, things came down to earth when the company closed down, forcing him to look elsewhere. But the forklift work triggered an interest in training and development, and more specifically the psychology behind building a successful career. What is it that makes people successful in the careers? And it's very simple. People who are confident go for more opportunities. People who are nervous will stay in jobs even when they don't like it. So I, I was interested in careers. I'm interested in this motivational traits of people. And that got me interested in life coaching. That got me interested in NLP. And then that got me interested in hypnotherapy. So it was these two like interests and passions that took me down this line of uh, working with people's anxieties and motivations. So are you saying then that people can sometimes get stuck in a role because they settle into it um, and perhaps it feels comfortable because it doesn't challenge them that much. They're not sort of leaving for something that might be riskier or takes them beyond their comfort zone. And the people who do have a lot of career success are willing to take that step, that risk to make those courageous decisions to try something different or a step up, you know, take on a team management role or whatever. Is this, is this what you're saying? It often comes down to people's self-esteem. Like we're tribal, aren't we? We belong in teams, we belong in groups. And the barrier of that is we want to be accepted into that team tri tribe or group. When you put yourself out there for a job interview or when doing stuff like public speaking, you're putting your opinions, your identity on display. People can reject you. So a lot of people don't want to progress in their career or want to progress in their career but can't because they're so worried about going to a job interview and being turned down, being told that you've been rejected, you're not good enough for this team, organisation or company. Mm -hmm. And it's that self-esteem that, that is the big barrier to individual people. They're worried about rejection. They're worried about, you know, what's it going to do to me? How will it make me feel? Let's stay with what I'm comfortable doing. Definitely. Like you, you, you speak to your friends and your family and they talk about, you know, going for jobs. You'll find that as people who, who are failing two or three job interviews will stop telling people that they're going to job interviews because they don't want other people to know that they're failing all the time. We hate being rejected. What to be seen as someone who's strong and confident? Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of people, you know, p paint a picture of, um, of an individual who is coming under your instruction, so to speak, under your coaching to get them ready for a job interview. G give me a sort of a typical example, a typical individual who would be in this situation. So I often work with uh, 35 to 45 year olds. For some reason, it's mainly females as well. I don't know why that is. I don't like market to a particular gender, but they're often uh, females. But it's generally people who are going from like middle management to high management. So they're trying to get a, you know, a job increase, a promotion, but uh, quite a large salary increase uh, at the same time. So they're trying to work out how to sell their current skills for these higher end positions. And what's holding them back, would you say? What are these, um, I mean, self-limiting beliefs may be one of those things, but talk us through what barriers you're trying to help them overcome. What people struggle with in the job interview is understanding what makes a successful uh, recruitment process. And there's three rules that makes a successful job interview. Number one, identify the job criteria so you know what you've got to talk about. Number two, be a self-promoter. Because in England, we're so reserved. We're so rubbish at saying how great, wonderful and fantastic we are. Uh, but you do have to be a self-promoter in a job interview. And then the third one is to communicate with confidence. Because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. 
Mm. Well, let's let's walk through those three one by one. So understanding the job criteria, this is where um, a candidate for a position needs to have researched the company. They need to know something about, you know, where they're, where they're looking to work um, to take an interest in the company and also to figure out, well, what is it they're actually looking for and how can I match my skills and experience to what they're they're asking for? Is it a little bit like when in an exam, when you rush into answering the question? And then you, you've written two and a half pages and then you realise, well, actually, that wasn't quite the question that was asked. <laughs> That's such a good, uh, good example. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to that. The questions will be based on the culture of the organisation, their values, their mission and their management styles as well. So many job interview questions are, are based on a strength-based job interview process as well as the structured interview now. So if you can identify the job criteria, you can predict the questions, which helps you prepare high-scoring answers. But because um, the, the, today's career professionals will job hop all the time, so you stay in a job for three to five years and then get a, get a different position in a different organisation, companies now are trying to encourage people to stay within their organisation. And they understand that if the um, culture of the organisation meets the kind of motivational needs of the individual, that person's likely to stay for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. So they've asked in strength-based interview questions, which is more like preference questions. So... A dead simple one would be, you know, do you prefer working in a team or working on your uh, own initiative? And they're asking preference questions. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's just what that candidates prefer. And they match that to the culture and the management and leadership styles of the organisation. We're going to take a quick break now to hear from a fellow storyteller and podcaster, Stefano Capiccione. He's a wizard with words, a collector of tales... And I'd thoroughly recommend his show, Storytelling with Puck. Here he is to tell you more. The story I'll I'll read for you. There once were three little girls. This is a dream that I think really shows how we view transformation. Dreams, emotions, empathy, connection, stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalising tale on your favourite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Thanks, Stefano. And now back to the interview. So take us to the second principle. OK, so be a self-promoter. So uh, I've done a lot of research on this. I'm a book, uh, What's Your Interview Identity? It's based on like 100 research papers that I read during COVID. And one of the things that came up time and time again was uh, people's self-esteem and how that affects how they communicate. So if you've got low self-esteem, you're quite likely to self-disclose weaknesses. So as an example, if my question to an applicant would be, um, tell me about one of your strengths, sometimes um, people with low self-esteem will, will kind of, Kind of like they talk to themselves and kind of go, well, you know, I'm not very good at the IT systems or, yeah, I'm not very good at working on my own initiatives, but my strength is working with other people. So they sometimes <laughs> self cause a couple of weaknesses before they talk about strength. They're, they're working confident... their way through the weaknesses first and then they might yeah. finally arrive at a, a strength. <laughs> Definitely. And they, and they kind of use like weaker terminology and weaker words as well. So they might say, you know, I'll try to do my best instead of saying every time I always do my best. Yeah. So they just, they're more, they're more weak in their language compared to confident people who, who are more charismatic, will be, will be more assertive as well, and will just state particular facts about themselves. It's quite a British thing, don't you think, to sort of brush <laughs> off a compliment and 
you know, say, oh, well, I just I just threw this on or I just do this. I just do that. It's very much a downplaying of whatever it is that you're, you're offering. It, 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 we downplay all the time. And the other thing people do in job interviews, oh, well, well, it, it was a team, you know, it was a team effort, which it probably was. Mm. But in the job interview, you need to talk about what you did in the team, what position you took, uh, yeah. what actions, you know, and what outcomes uh, were, were because of your actions. Yes, yes. I think there's a distinction there between very, very high achiever people who've already had their reputation established. So you'll watch a Tom Hanks being interviewed on the Graham Norton show and there'll be a lot of brushing off and putting the spotlight on other people. You know, it's a team effort. It's the director. It's the, you know, the casting and it's the cinematography. It's not me because they can do that because they don't need to big themselves up anymore or, or, or you know, promote themselves. Um, so what about this third thing, this um, this communicate with confidence? So going back to the research, the research tells, tells us that uh, the higher number of words per answer often results in a higher number of job offers. So confident people, again, will talk longer, will be more descriptive, will give data-based uh, interview answers. When you're confident and relaxed as well, your tonality changes throughout a conversation. So if you listen to me and Andrew talking, we sometimes start high and go down a little bit low. Sometimes we'll emphasize certain words or we'll say words in a more an emotive way. Uh, where people who are, who are less self-assured or lack confidence will either try and rush the answers or will just talk in a bit of a monotone way. Like I'm a fit, hitting a therapist and when I want to send someone into a trance, I talk in a slow monotone voice to send <laughs> them to sleep. You don't want to do that in a job interview. You need to excite and encourage people. Yes. Watching trainers present is a really good way to understand how important communication is because some trainers have such interesting ideas or information to pass over to you in the training seminar, but you fall asleep because you're just listening to this person drawing on and on and on for a couple of hours. If they made it a bit more exciting with their voice, change their volume, their tonality, use gestures and body language and facial expressions just those little changes in non-verbal communication and verbal communication mm -hmm. make a massive massive difference there's there's um another episode of leaning forward where we talk about the way you use your voice um and i i remember it uh, at bni you know the business network international one of those meetings i went to years ago and i read out the football results when I was there to introduce myself. And the reason I did it is because I heard an interview with James Alexander Gordon years ago. He used to read the classified football results out on a Saturday afternoon. And he did it for like 25, 26 years. He had the, that beautiful voice, but he used to read them out in a very unusual way. He would say Manchester United 4, Tottenham Hotspur. And then he kind of knew it was nil. And I, I read the results out and I, and I stopped before Tottenham Hotspur's score. And I said, does anybody know what the score was? And somebody said, nil. I said, well, how did you know that? He said, well, your voice went down a little bit. Mm. And I, I, I listened to James Alexander Gordon. He was known as Jag, by the way. That was his nickname. <laughs> being interviewed about how have you evolved this style of speaking? And he said, all I do is I imagine what it would feel like to be on the winning side or the losing side when I read their number out. So win four, loss nil. <laughs> and so I think the point though. there is that you, you've got to link the words that you're saying with the feeling that you have for them. And if there's a, I mean, we talked about detachment before, didn't we, being a good thing, but I think detachment's a bad thing when you're speaking, because if you detach 
the words from what you feel about them, it can then come across as rushed or monotonous because there's nothing there. There's no feeling behind what you're saying. It's so true. And job interviews, mainly it's just storytelling. You're telling stories about your past experience uh, often. And what you want to do uh, in most job interview situations is talk about a problem that you face and then the you know you took some actions and then a positive outcome. So it's a great way to use emotive in there, isn't it? Like with a problem, talk about it like in a oh we had this like big problem, like be anxious, be scared, be nervous in your tonality. And then when you've done something amazing and saved the day and you're like you know Superman, Super Lady for that particular event, like be excited when you're talking about that end part. So you can take them on an emotional journey uh, throughout your interview answers. I circled back to that point about Chris actively pursuing things that seemed unlikely uh, given the communication difficulties he was facing. So how did he tackle these when it came to writing his three books and speaking on stage? Dyslexia has been a, a, you know, something you've obviously struggled with over the years, but you've got to the point now where you've written books, so you've pushed against um, the flow, so to speak, and found a talent for something which you, you wouldn't expect you to be, you know, going down that path. And also you've been doing quite a lot of public speaking because I see you pop up here and there with, you know, you've spoken at this event and that event and you obviously enjoyed that. You've had a, an involvement, I think, with Toastmasters. Um, so tell us about those two things, about where the writing came from and how that's going and also the, the public speaking. So the writing is still like a barrier in terms of my dyslexia because I kind of still am dyslexic. So one of the most misspelt words in the world is separate. So if people either spell it S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E or S-E-P-E-R-A-T-E. So I spelt that wrong all the time. So what I use now is visualization techniques to help me to learn how to spell different words. So for that word, what I imagine is being on the outside of an airplane, the doors open, I can feel the wind rushing through, I'm shaking and nervous, I can look down, I can see these little small cows, these little small buildings, and I jump out of the airplane, and I'm falling falling really really fast towards my death and the wind's blowing my air i can feel my stomach turning upside down and i'm just dropping to this uh to the to the, to the earth and uh, as i'm halfway down i pull the parachute and i start floating down and the reason i remember uh, the parachute is because separate is spelled s-e-p-a-r-a-t-e so power so to help me spell separate i always remember the parachute so i use different techniques now to help me spell the words that i often struggle spelling once I settled my business, when I was doing like my coaching and my, my interview skills, I still had like a little bit of anxiety because um, one of the techniques I learned when I was young was to talk really fast because I had the list. Because every time I used to talk to people when I was young, they'd be like, I can't understand what you're saying. You know, repeat that. And it used to make me even more anxious. So I used to talk quickly just to end the conversation. And then I, as I overcome the list and became more confident and got into all the training and speaking roles, uh, I still used to talk pretty fast, really, and I always wanted to slow down the way I spoke. And the public speaking um, workshops and the uh, groups that I joined was really goal to help me to slow down uh, my speaking skills. So I thought, you know, I'll go for like a year, be able to like reduce the speed, maybe learn a couple of techniques and then be a better speaker. But what I realized is speaking actually is a skill that you just continually develop all the time. So you learn stuff like storytelling, the structures of speeches, uh, when we just talked about the rise and fall of your voice or having emotive words. For me, I learned so much more than just 
slowing down my pace. So I, st- you know, I was in Toastmasters for I don't know, not like eight, eight or nine years, and joined different speaking groups. Went to some of your workshops, Andrew, and you know, really, really tried to t- take on that uh, that skill of public speaking. And it's interesting this thing about speaking too quickly because I, I often ask my clients, you know, which of their challenges would they identify you know which of the 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 common errors in terms of verbal communication would they see in themselves many of them identify that as being one of them and I think you're right I think a lot of the time it's about wanting to get it over with quickly because they're nervous and if it's a stage situation they want to get it over with but also they sense I think sometimes that they're losing their audience's interest and attention and they think, well, I've got to blurt out the words as quickly as possible because I won't hold their attention for very long. I've got to get the message across quickly. And of course, when you listen to great speakers, they, they, they take their time because they know they have the, the audience's attention. They're comfortable that they've got it in the palm of their hands and they can play with it so they can leave a long pause because they know that you know, they're not going to go anywhere. They're intrigued to know what comes next. So let's not give it to them straight away. It's a little bit like on, on MasterChef or any of these shows when it says, and I'm afraid one of you is now leaving the uh, leaving the room, and I'm afraid it's going to be, and then there's this horrible long pause because <laughs> it creates that that added tension. They don't say it's going to be Jeff. You know, it's it's <laughs> a long pause before they reveal who's leaving. It's the same with job interviews. This, like, you got the employer's attention, aren't you? Like, you're there for forty-five minutes. You're going to ask. The, you're going to be asked eight questions, and the employer's going to listen to mm. your answer. So, if you don't answer straight away, or you have long pauses between some of your explanations, the employer's there to listen to you. Um, so, if you're, uh, you know, if you're highlighting your knowledge and experience in that sector in a in a confident way, they're going to be intrigued by what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting as well with the um, future recruitment as well, because we're going to be interviewed by AI. Um, so one of the things you do with some large organi- organizations at the moment is you go into their website and f- three or four random interview questions pop up and you have to record a video. Um, so give your answer that often lasts for like one to two minutes. Mm. But then uh, AI robots will scan that for keywords and then decide if you're going da- down to the next line uh, yeah. where you get a face-to-face interview. And with that, we began to wind up our interview, restricted as we were by a slightly dodgy internet connection. There's so much more to learn from Chris, and I recommend you check out his work. Links are shared in the episode notes, and in particular his three books, Influencing the Interview, Evolve the Mind, and What is Your Interview Identity? That's all for now from Leaning Forward. My thanks go to Chris Delaney for being such a wonderful guest on the show, and do check out my good friend Stefano Capiccione and his show, Storytelling with Puck. You can find it where you normally listen to your podcasts or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. See you next time.